truck and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Dace Show. And greetings. Happy Tuesday. Welcome to the Steve Day Show, live and on demand on The Blaze. That would be me. Todd and Aaron are here to join me as well. If if you'd like to join us too, 888-900-3393 is the number. That's 888-900-3393. Steve at stevedace.com is how you can email the program. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. And for those of you listening here today via the podcast or on Blaze Radio, that last name is spelled D-E-A-C-E. And if you are listening today via podcast, uh, if you wouldn't mind, on the podcast platform of your choice, leaving us a five-star review, we would greatly appreciate you doing so and appreciate all of you who have done that for us already. Uh, Coming up here at the bottom of the hour, one of the brightest political minds I know, also one of the best dudes I know. Uh, former senior strategist to the Ted Cruz campaign, uh, Jason Johnson, uh, he's going to be joining us. And we're going to look at uh, the, the, what the polling shows us, not the real polling, what the real polling shows us uh, could, uh, could be the environment uh, as we head uh, full swing into the 2020 election. Remember when we started this year, we told you that, you know, this is the year, the year before an election is the year that determines the environment. And if you're a longtime listener to our show, you know that uh, one of our max maxims here when it comes to uh, political uh, analysis is you as a candidate, you cannot change the environment. Right? The environment is an organic process. Um, so you can you can tailor your gifts, skills, message, stances, etc. You can do so in a way that takes advantage of the environment you're in, but the environment is beyond your control. All right, so we're going to take a look at uh, the the electorate determines the environment. And we're going to take a look at what we're seeing so far, almost halfway through 2019. What we're seeing so far uh, is the environment uh, this year uh, as we head into 2020. Uh, JJ will join us here at the bottom of the hour. And then next hour, we're going to fact check ourselves with fake news or not. Always good to do that every now and then. Uh, We've got some Pop Culture Tuesday coming your way as well. But uh, we've got something new to announce here on the show. And this sounds pretty cool. Um, you know, you know, you know me. I like going places. I don't like traveling there. So I'm going to hold out until we have transporter technology. But for those of you that like both of those things, like I'd like to see all these places. I just think you know the 18 hour flights and everything to make it happen. Road trips to Chicago. Yeah, I mean, heart palpitations, anxiety. <laughs> yeah. But for those of you that love the traveling and the destination. Um, Glenn Beck, uh, Stu, and, and tons of VIPs here at The Blaze uh, are, are doing a really neat trip next year. It's a 14-day adventure uh, sailing in the eastern Mediterranean, Mediterranean, visiting Italy, Croatia, Jerusalem, Israel, Athens, and Greece to explore the roots of Western civilization, uh, cruise through history. Uh, no time machine is required. Uh, You're going to explore Venice, which is the birthplace of commerce, tour Greece, the origin of the Republic uh, and democracy. You're going to walk where Jesus and the disciples uh, spread the gospel uh, in the Holy Land. I mean, this is going to be a cruise like no other. Uh, And Glenn Beck and uh, his team are incredibly excited to share it with you. You can bring children or grandchildren with you on this experience. Um, Show them how this part of the world inspired our constitutions and uh, America's founding. Uh, If you want to take a look at this trip, comesailaway.com. Nice little sticks reference there. 
one of the best tunes of the 70s in my mind. Uh, you can visit the website, comesailaway.com to learn all of the details and uh, the different packages to be a part of what sounds like a, a, a once-in-a-lifetime trip. And now, here's Aaron with what happened while we were away. What happened while we were away brought to you by Even the Cookies Will Be Made to Care. The following is from the official Twitter feed of Chips Ahoy Cookies. Y'all know what we celebrating today? Mother's Day. And I am so thankful to have a mother like mine who supports me through all my craziness and loves on me and buys me Chips Ahoy cookies, Chewy, the original, everything under the sun. My mom knows I love my cookies. So get those cookies. And what's a sweet gesture for you to do to your mama, your real mama, your drag mama, whichever mama, somebody, whoever take care of you, whoever you feel or consider your mama, it's their day today. Get them a cookie. President Trump slammed Michigan Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib yesterday, saying, quote, she obviously has a tremendous hatred of Israel and the Jewish people. He's referring to these comments. For me, just uh, a few, uh, I think two weeks ago or so, we celebrated, um, or just it took a moment, I think, in our country to remember the Holocaust. And there's, you know, there's a kind of a calming feeling, I always tell folks, when I think of the Holocaust and the tragedy of the Holocaust and the fact that it was my ancestors, Palestinians, who lost their land and some lost their lives, their livelihood, the human dignity, um, their existence in many ways have been wiped out and some people's passport. I mean, just all of it was in the name of trying to create a safe haven for Jews. Another day, another anti-Semitic comment from Rashida Tlaib and or Elon Omar. It's the new normal. Some sort of rally was held yesterday for the Green New Deal. It featured a series of speeches from quote-unquote climate justice organizers broken up by the ramblings of communists. So as the Green New Deal fight continues to heat up, as we fight for a strong and equitable Green New Deal that includes full employment, 100% clean energy, and no, I repeat, no fossil fuel production. If we do not act boldly and aggressively, to transform our global energy system away from fossil fuel within the next few years, a very short period of time, there will be irreparable harm done to our planet. And climate justice is not just saying, I want clean energy. Climate justice means I want patents to be free. Climate justice means I want to see a world that is better than this. Climate justice means I want to see a world where children are not separated from their families. Oceans were 90 feet higher. Bacteria and diseases we have never seen before roamed the earth. Humans did not exist. We have never seen a planet like this. And a planet like this is exactly what we are going to get. Speaking of how we're all going to die, here's Bill Nye. Here, I, I've got an experiment for you. Safety glasses on. By the end of this century, if emissions keep rising, the average temperature on Earth could go up another four to eight degrees. What I'm saying is the planet's on fire. There are a lot of things we could do to put it out. Are any of them free? No, of course not. Nothing's free, you idiots. Grow the up. You're not children anymore. I didn't mind explaining photosynthesis to you when you were 12, but you're adults now, and this is an actual crisis. Got it? Safety glasses off.
He said the F word, so we have to take him serious. Stacey Abrams is out there saying stuff again. If we do not secure our democracy and ensure that every vote counts in 2020, we will be having a very different conversation, possibly in Russian, in 2030. The Supreme Court ruled yesterday that iPhone users can proceed with a class action lawsuit against Apple over how it controls app sales. The lawsuit claims Apple has a monopoly over the app store that artificially increases prices. Brett Kavanaugh sided with the progressive wing of the Supreme Court in the decision. New York Child Protective Services forcibly separated a mother from her newborn baby after she tested positive for opiates. It turns out she had just eaten a poppy seed bagel. The Pennsylvania bully, a.k.a. State Representative Brian Sims, has locked his Twitter account, meaning that nobody can access the things he tweets or has tweeted in the past unless given permission by him to do so. AP Fact Check, the reality behind President Trump's false accusation that abortion doctors execute babies. That's exactly what they do. The newest season of the PBS children's show Arthur features Mr. Ratburn, his teacher, as a homosexual who is married to another homosexual. And finally, Mason High School in Ohio has gotten rid of the valedictorian and salutatorian distinctions for the expressed purpose of reducing the, quote, overall competitive culture. Baker Mayfield, the starting quarterback for the Cleveland Browns, says, This is so dumb. You're telling me competition doesn't bring out the best in people? If you want something bad enough, work for it. People are too soft. Be like Baker. And that's what happened Well, we were away. Aaron's Montage today brought to you by our friends at Relief Factor. If you're one of millions of Americans that have just come to the conclusion that chronic pain is something I have to live with, the Give Relief Factor a try. They've got a brand new starter kit. It's only three weeks. Cost you a dollar a day, and they offer this because people tend to stick around and use the product regularly when they get a chance to sample it uh, at, at just a buck a day uh, for a few weeks. And here's how this works, all right? It's it's not a drug. It's 100% drug-free, even though it's created by doctors who prescribe such things. Uh, but, but you know, inflammation is what causes chronic pain, and that's different than an injury. If you've got an injury, go see a physician and, you know, get it treated. But if you've got chronic pain due because of inflammation, this is where relief factor comes in. It's got four key natural ingredients that help your body win the fight against that inflammation that's causing chronic pain. So many of the people here at The Blaze have got their own success stories with Relief Factor. I'm now into week three of my initial three-week tryout here. And I mean, this is the second consecutive leg day. Todd and Aaron, well, yesterday was the second consecutive leg day that Todd and Aaron have not heard me whining about being sore. That's true. I'm not. I'm not making that up. That's absolutely. And it's not like true news. It's not like you didn't say anything before. I mean, you were just whining all. I'm sorry, but you were. You, that, you said stuff. That, sometimes there's too much true news in that. <laughs> just want to little tip on the dope on there. <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> Like, right right there. It might have been too much true news, as a matter of fact. Yes. So if you want to give Relief Factor a try, just a dollar a day, here's all you have to do. ReliefFactor.com. That's the website. ReliefFactor.com. All right, let's get to some of the highlights of Aaron's montage. Uh, Chips Ahoy cookies. What you doing? What you doing out there? What you doing? What you doing? I mean... If you're going to do this, do it right. Okay? First of all, 80% of Americans don't have a Twitter account, number one. 
And, you know, Pew Research did this exhaustive study about Twitter profiles and what are active and everything else. And essentially 2% of the people on Twitter compose 80% of the tweets that the less than, that the 20% of Americans who actually have Twitter accounts actually see. <laughs> All right. So if, you, if, you, if you've got to get your SJW on, if you want to show that, you know what, even mediocre chocolate chip cookies can be woke, right? If there's better ways to do this, don't half-ass this. Go all the way with it, right? Uh, over, under, there's 330, 40 million people in America. I'm going to put the over, under on seven. Are you taking the over or the under, the amount of Americans who went and decided uh, Mother's Day to go buy them some Chips Ahoy cookies? Because they saw a drag queen on Twitter pimping Chips Ahoy cookies. Over or under seven out of 340 million living Americans. Aaron. Way under. Todd. I'm I'm sorry. I'm not feeling very hopeful. I think it's over. Right, so it's nine <laughs> or ten, you think? It's over seven. You think it's over seven? So nine or ten? Did you just see this right, whole let, montage? Let, 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 it's let, over let, seven. Let, let, me, let me rephrase this. Over, under. Uh, the entirety of the American population outside of say West Hollywood and San Francisco. So everywhere, the other 99.7% of the American people uh, that went out on mother's day and bought chips away cookies because they had, because they put a drag queen on Twitter. The number is at seven, Todd. No, it's a push. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I just thought some clarification was needed. We got there. I mean, this is just, this isn't even, I can't even be insulted by this. You know what? I am insulted by it now that I think about it. If you're going to do pro- yes. propaganda. Give me a real culture war, yeah. please. This is beneath me. I mean, honestly, this is beneath me. Khan, I'm laughing at the superior intellect. This town needs a better class of propaganda. Yeah, yeah absolutely. We, this culture, please tell me this is not going to be the lamest cultural divorce of all time, too. Please give me something. Something. I need better than that. I need better than some 24-year-old production assistant at Chips Ahoy rolling into, you know, we need to make sure that we're woke on Mother's Day. And I know this one drag queen who's really cool. Let's just do a quick little Twitter video with them and throw that out there. I need more. You won't get it. I need. You have to do, you have total control of the culture or thereabouts. Please give me better than that. I don't think that's too much to ask. All right. I, I, I need a better class of culture war than that. Um. The climate hysteria, <laughs> it's just watching what's happening to Bill Nye, too. I, I got to tell you, I kind of can't get enough of it. It's, it's become, you know, we all have our guilty pleasures. You know, I, I was a big soap opera guy. I lived in a co-ed dorm in college, and I was a bi- I'd watch soap operas with girls there and, you know, 90210. You know, I think we even had an I Hate Brenda Club, at least for like one episode. Uh, so, you know, we all have our guilty pleasures, right? You said that out loud. Hey, you know what? The dude code affirms being the lone rooster in the hen house, brother, if you know what I'm saying, G. That, that's All right. True. All right. So there we go. Math works in that uh, formula, you know? Um, but I, I, we all have our guilty pleasures. Watching the public deconstruction and devolution of Bill Nye is kind of one of mine. Like, I, I kind of, every time he does something, shows his rear end like this, I, I kind of have to watch, you know? I just. I, I just, you know, I, I, I find it so pathetic. Um, it kind of goes back to what I was just saying about Chips Ahoy cookies. If you demons in hell are listening right now, I, I wrote a better book 
than what Bill Nye's pulling. He's got to raise his game. He's got to do better than this. All right. Let me let me just use let me go Gallagher. I'm going to do the Gallagher now. I'm going to be he's going to we're going to reduce Bill Nye to the Gallagher of 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 you know uh, climate hysteria. But and if you throw in a couple of f bombs, then it then it really matters. Yes. It, amongst a group of people who use the f bomb like it's conjunction junction, what's your function, right? Like they're they're shocked to hear it. Um, so I I kind I know what you guys think, but uh, I, I kind of like watching his his yeah. devolution. Maybe my, I maybe my, I shouldn't, but it's a guilty pleasure. My favorite part of that. Well, <clears throat> excuse me. Aside from the part that uh, you know he's a mechanical engineer, that's what his training is in. But aside from that, my favorite part of that was the part where he says, "Quote: Nothing is free, idiots." Okay, yeah. Okay. I, I, I you, still, can, you can show yourself now out. Do now do Obamacare, Bill? Yes, yes. It's like I saw on Twitter this morning. Somebody again. There are no good arguments for these. That's why they always sound dumb. Now, you, we don't have to agate prop these arguments. They're all bad. Just communicate what they actually say, right? They're, they're just all terrible arguments. Uh, and they, they really are unbridled, raw uh, emotion. And it's nothing other than I wanna, I'm a child. I'm the mob outside of Lot's house because it's what I want. It, there's really no other argument than that. There's really not. Case in point, I saw on Twitter this morning, this morning somebody had put out there, uh, hey, you know, if you guys really believe that that fetus in my body is a life, you know, then let's, uh, you know, then we ought to give that fetus the right to vote. So you're, so, so you're now admitting, you're now admitting it's not a clump of cells. I, I mean, it's just, there. there's a reason why their arguments always fall on self-own. There's a reason why. And they know this too. If they try to actually make an argument. If they try to, yes. And they know this too, which is why when, when before Aaron was born and Todd and I were, you know, uh, early in, the, in, in our college years, this is why they created political correctness. They know this. They know. They, so they created political correctness so they never had to risk a debate. I simply just call everybody who disagrees with me racist, misogynistic, homophobic, xenophobic bigots. They could have no other reason why they would disagree with me other than they are these lower forms of life troglodytes. They would have no other reason. Therefore, I don't have to risk losing an argument because you're beneath contempt and not worthy of even having one. And, and now we are a quarter century or more into this. And so we have an, an entire generation of these leftists that have been reared in this. And what, where they're really struggling is when they get blown up on social media. And that's why they're cracking down on conservatives in social media. Because the number one thing we are doing right, uh, maybe the number one thing we are doing right as a movement, collectively, and maybe by a long shot, is the effective and devastating ridicule of these people. And if there's one thing the devil hates the most, it's to be mocked. I mean, these people are getting their pants pulled down on the regular. And I think that's why you're seeing, you're going to see more and more of it, particularly as the election comes. Because the easiest and most accessible platform to pull their pants down and rub their noses in their own feces is social media. Their arguments don't hold up to any scrutiny, I promise you. That's why they call you names. You saw it last week in Philadelphia with Brian Sims. He has no argument. He ran. He finally ran into a real a real man, albeit a buck oh five, but a dude with some stones. And he stepped right up, took his hat off, looked right at him, looked him right in the eye, and said, "Let me give you my name and my address." And immediately he saw Mister Big Tough, former college football captain. You know, but you know, in between, 
in, you know, we're behind the the uh, the CrossFitter physique. It's just another little harmless little snowflake who can't even. Okay, don't let the BMI chart fool you. A wuss is a wuss is a wuss. All right, and you can smell him coming a mile away. In fact, he knows it too. That's why his score on the BMI chart is so obscenely high. It's a compensation act. Ladies, you know, it's, you know, the dude with the comb over who buys the Camaro at 40. You know what I'm talking about. So this bucko five young man looks him right in the eye and says, yeah, I, I'll, I'll, I'll answer the bell. I got you. And Mr. Big Tough College football cap in there in his Twitter bio. Uh, never mind. I don't want to hear it. Walks away. I love Matt Walsh to death. Does he strike you, though, as an immediately physical, intimidating young man? Nope. Now, Graham Allen kind of does. But the minute, but when Walsh was the one who started that, hey, hey, Brian, we'll have, you're going to tell you what, you can come say it to my face in between my kvetching about my favorite bourbon flavors. And Brian Sims, man, couldn't tap out quick enough because there are no arguments. I, I'm, I'm, I'm the one that tells you don't build your opponent into a straw man. I'm not making a straw man argument. All right? Don't also overrate your opponent either. Take them seriously, but not too much. They don't have any arguments. If they had arguments, they'd air them. You'd hear more than, than what you hear. The name calling, the political correctness, the banishing. You'd hear more than that. You'd see more comebacks than that. They don't have any. And so that's all they know how to do is now just, if, you're, if, if you can't be put down by the name calling, well, we just have to shut you down. We'll have to ban you. Can't be on our faculty. You can't be on Facebook. That's what we'll have to do. Any thoughts on that, gentlemen? Nailed it, especially the part about uh, uh, wuss, 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 and what they're compensating for. Mm-hmm. Um, man, I mean, if... If you are a, a young man growing up in this world, uh, if your daddy ain't teaching you that, how to take the measure of a man right quick, and God bless the father of that I young I should have man. said that. You're exactly yeah. the father of that young man. Yeah. All right? Dude. In fact, I just got to chill. That, that's a proud daddy moment right there. Yeah, man. Okay? Because this is something I'm trying to communicate to Noah all the time because, you know, I mean, he was literally fit in the palm of my hand when he was born. He spent the first two weeks of his life in a NICU. He's probably never going to be 6'3 and, and 200 pounds. All right. And so I'm, I'm, I keep trying to convince him that the measure of a man's courage and heart this is not necessarily dictated by, you know, how tall he is or the size of his biceps. And a great example of that is what you see in that picture right there from that young man in Philadelphia who took his cap off and he wasn't a douche about it. He just said, dude, ding, ding, you ring the bell. I got you. Yeah. All right. So, you know, he tries to intimidate the women and, and, and chases them away. Basically one young man stands there, maybe weighing a buck Oh five soaking wet. If you are a young man in our audience right now, I hope this is preaching to you. All right. That guy right there took his hat off, stepped right up to the mic at a, a guy who's two, three times his size. And he's like, here I give stand, my I name. Can yeah, yeah, I, I got can do no other. Want to last four digits of my soch, maybe? Uh, you know, what else are you looking for? I got this. I'm totally proud of what I'm doing here today. Yeah, that kid right there. If you are that young man's dad, all right, you ought to be very, very proud of him. Very proud. 
Ladies, if you want to know what's a real man, because this is a lost art in our culture today. Can you freeze that shot right there? Nope. All right. But if you could, that's it right there. That's what a man is right there. The way that he just stood there and stood his ground and he wasn't nervous. He wasn't a jerk face about it. He just wasn't going to be pushed off his spot. He wasn't going to be intimidated. That's, if, if you're wondering, what am I looking for? Say that as a father of two daughters. You're looking for that right there. Is that Captain America speech when it says he's plant yourself like a tree and say, no. Yes. You move. Yes, absolutely. That's a great example of that. Yes. If you are in the uh, home shopping market uh, this spring and summer, now it's allegedly spring somewhere. Yeah. No. <laughs> now the sun was out yesterday here for a That's while. True. Yeah. So May, I, I, when I was a kid, they taught us April showers bring May flowers. Now I think it's May showers bring June flowers or something, right? But somewhere it's spring and summer. That means those yard signs uh, for sale are popping up. Maybe you want to put one in your own yard. Uh, this is be, it, listen, it, it, it's the most valuable investment most Americans will ever have their own home, but acquiring one and or selling one can be amongst the most stressful things you'll ever do. So yeah, you need to find a real estate agent that you can trust. And that's why Glenn Beck started this company with some of his friends a few years ago, because they were tired of real estate agents who talked a good game, but then didn't deliver the results that were needed the most when called upon. So the difference here between this and other referral services is they're not really trying to find customers for agents. They're trying to find agents worthy of having you. As a customer, three things you're looking for from an agent. Number one, somebody with a proven track record of navigating the complicated real estate process. Number two, somebody that also understands, though, that you need to understand, you need to know what the data says, what the algorithm says about property values and things of that nature. But sometimes you got to look beyond that and, and don't spare the details. There may be a home in your neighborhood that may be priced higher or lower than you think your home is worth. And, and you're, you need to have an agent that has done his homework or hers and knows the reasons for that, because that could apply to what you can can offer for your home. And then thirdly, you kind of just have to get along with this person. I mean, you guys are going to be in a proverbial bunker together uh, for quite some time. Uh, you may have to, you know, work together on a moment's notice. Somebody wants to come in and see your home, etc. Uh, so it's really hard to do this if, if you guys don't have a rapport. If you want an agent that checks all three of those boxes, here's all you need to do. Visit the website, realestateagentsitrust.com, realestateagentsitrust.com. So we're going to talk to my uh, good friend, Jason Johnson here uh, in a few minutes. Uh, and he's going to give us kind of the lowdown and what the data is saying, the environment for 2019 that, that could determine and likely will determine uh, the environment in 2020, barring something, you know, like if what's the ramifications of the current trade war. Apparently we're going to launch with China, for example. Um, you know, if there's a, an issue, you know, a, a, a war, which none of us would want, but it's those sorts of things that can change an environment. But what does the data say right now, almost halfway through 2019? And as you guys are watching what's happened, anecdotally, what is your sense, anecdotally, of the environment in the country right now? I, I was kicking myself for not using that. There's a couple of good opportunities to use this story. I, I, I could... I, 
don't consume a whole lot of Hawkeye-related podcasts in my free time during this time of the year because there's just not a whole lot going on. I was listening to one the other day that's hosted by three guys, two of which own the station that this podcast airs on. And one of the reasons why I stopped listening to this podcast is because two of these hosts were just diehard, just total sold-out progressives, no critical thinking whatsoever, constantly ripping on this Hawkeye sports-related podcast, constantly ripping on conservatives, constantly ripping on Trump. And not that I uh, I heart Trump or anything. Uh, you I just couldn't. Don't heart just, stupid. I don't heart stupid. Yeah. I tuned in one time last week because there was some news regarding my beloved Hawkeyes. So I thought, you know, I'll get caught up. I kid you not, these two guys open up the show talking about, yeah, the economy is really good. And then they give Trump credit for that. And then they start complaining about how the economy is so good that they can't find somebody to fill an open position they have at the radio station there. So that is, these guys still obviously hate Trump. But if it's, if the the state of the economy is penetrating that far Mm. into that deep of a liberal Valhalla, um, I don't know. That, that's, I think that anecdotally, you said anecdotally, anecdotally, if that's true other places as well, I think that is, I don't know, I think that says something. What do you, what do you think, Todd? Uh, I think deeply prone to propaganda and intimidation. I just think. Or that. And that's the kind of thing they're going to have to dial up to 11, knowing the state of the economy. They are going to make you feel terrible, try to make you feel terrible about voting for one particular person or another. Hmm. Well, let's find out what the data says. My good buddy Jason Johnson, former senior strategist for the Ted Cruz campaign, is going to be with us here in a few minutes and get a look at that data and tell us what we should make of it when we return here live and on demand on The Blaze. Stay tuned. Well, by now, you know, one of our favorite causes to support here on the show is our friends over at Back to Jerusalem. Uh, They're a ministry whose heart is fulfilling the Great Commission to the ends of the earth, but uh, they especially focus on what are called closed countries. And these are nations, oppressive regimes that try to close their people off from the hope and inspiration found in the scriptures. And the reason they do so is because uh, people that are inspired and hope-filled by the Bible, history shows, have a far less tolerance for being oppressed by mere mortals. But that's that's where we come in. Uh, what uh, Back to Jerusalem has done is taken the Word of God, and they've put it in a small, downloadable, electronic form uh, about the size of a pill that makes it easier to get past the jackbooted thugs in places like communist China, Iran, North Korea, and Somalia, where we get members of Congress from nowadays. Uh, if you would like to uh, support this worthwhile cause, blazehelp.org is the website. That's blazehelp. Or you can give them a call at 844-305-0566. It costs from conception uh, to put into this uh, downloadable form uh, to delivery into the hands of a persecuted believer in one of these countries. About $15 is their overhead per unit. So the cost of you and somebody uh, else going out to a fast food lunch today. Blazehelp.org or 844-305-0566. All right, with us now, uh, one of my favorite dudes, uh, Jason Johnson, uh, former senior strategist with the Ted Cruz for President campaign. He's now his own strategist as well, and maybe you've seen him on uh, some of the shows recently. Good to see you, JJ. How are you, man? 
Doing well. How are you, Steve? I'm doing well, too. Before we delve into the numbers, I kind of want to set the scene a little bit and see if you sure. agree with uh, what I've uh, what I've been advising our audience to do as they take a look at the 2020 election campaign. That that I think it's the year before an election that that usually, barring a cataclysmic event that can't be forecast, an attack, a military intervention, a natural disaster, uh, you know, barring something like that that cannot be forecast, it's usually the year before the election that determines the environment of the election year. And that in general, politicians can't change environment. Uh, that those are na- those are natural habitats, organic, uh, you know, entities. The electorate ultimately determines those things, and it's a little bit like the weather. You may not like winter, but you can't change it. So instead, dress accordingly and outfit your car accordingly to take advantage of the environment that you are in. As a general rule, do you agree or disagree with that? Agree a hundred percent, Steve, and and one of the reasons I love you, man. Uh, truth bomb right there. I mean, so many people who do what I do for a living, or I've done for a living, and folks in your position who are out trying to uh, in, influence the discourse don't like to hear that. But you're right. You look at presidential elections throughout history, and almost to an election, they can be predicted by exactly what you said. We refer to them as the conditions. What are the conditions? In the, in the year leading into a presidential election. And you can get real specific with it. You can look at growth, year-over-year growth of, the, of, of GDP in Q2 and Q3 the year before a presidential election. And almost always, when that's positive, when there is good growth like we're seeing right now, the incumbent party in power is rewarded. Again, as you said, absent some sort of you know, catastrophic event that's unforeseen that can, again, change the environment. But you're exactly right, Steve. It's all about what's the environment and what are the conditions that are set like a stage as we head into 2020. So when when you look at sports or political handicapping, because I kind of do both of them with the exact same uh, kind of, you know, formulas and strategies and algorithms and those sorts of things. One of the things I've learned over the years, JJ, is that the trend, the data, that's another way of saying the data, the, the trend is your friend until it runs into human nature and human nature trumps the trend. Okay, and and so you can't be a slave to trends. And I think, for example, two things we missed in 2016 for those of us, everybody keeps saying the polls were wrong. They weren't. Those of us who forecast what those numbers mean, we were the ones that were wrong. And I think there's two things that we missed. Number one, historically, whoever has the highest favorables wins, period. Okay, Uh, particularly in the post television uh, era uh, going back to 1960, typically whoever has the highest likable favorable ratings wins. Well, Hillary had higher favorables than Trump in 2016. But when you look at both of their favorables, they were so in the toilet. They both were so deep in the red in favorables that I think we should have learned this stat probably isn't going to apply this year because these people are both historically disliked at the exact same time. And I'm wondering when we look for the 2020 cycle, you know, a lot of times you look at presidential approval ratings, for example. But see, I don't think we're even polarized. I think we're balkanized. I think there are so many places. It doesn't matter what the Republicans or Democrats nominate. They simply can't win or lose there. So given that, do, uh, do approval ratings, maybe they don't matter as much now in this environment 
And now with social media making candidates omnipresent, and so you have a high dislike of people, even if you think they're doing a good job, you just get sick of them quicker. Right. Does this not matter as much as it used to, similar to how we learned in 2016, favorability rating, you throw that out the window when both candidates are disliked? Without question, again, I hate agreeing with you this much, man. But this, <laughs> I think we saw this really this trend that you're that you're referring to with let's just call it the de- the decreased predictive value of you know your traditional measure of do you approve or disapprove of a particular elected official or politician. It really started post nine eleven. You know when we we had that horrible event occur. Uh, you saw obviously President George W. Bush's uh, approval rating surge, uh, you know, to kept to amazing numbers. And then as things got tough in Iraq, it turned around. We really began to become polarized, uh, very partisan. Of course, when Obama came into office, it, it it became even more so. And I agree with you now. It's balkanization and. I can say, I don't like that guy, or I don't like that gal, and frankly, it would be torture to have a beer or a glass of wine with that guy or gal and still vote for him. Mm -hmm. I saw something this morning uh, in the new Emerson College national poll that is right on point, and I've been looking for things like this, Steve, that aren't just your traditional, do I approve or I disapprove? What they did is they asked Democrat primary voters nationwide, do you excuse me? They actually ask all voters nationwide, likely voters. Do you think President Trump's going to win re-election? See, that steps it away, and it's not as personal. How do I feel? Do you think he's going to win? And it was interesting. It was straight up 50 percent hmm. said he's going to win. Fifty percent said he will not win re-election. Then you dive down into the partisanship, and it becomes even more interesting. You had a full twenty percent of Democrats say. Donald Trump is going to win re-election. And then importantly, 51% of independents say he's going to win re-election. I would suggest that that is probably a better predictor of where people's actual vote vote choice is at this point in time. Talking to former uh, senior strategist for the Ted Cruz for president campaign, Jason Johnson, Uh, he's now uh, continues to be a a strategist as well. And he's helping us to look at some of the numbers around the country and, and, and make sense of them and what, what they could tell us about uh, the environment candidates will be running in, in 2020. The other big mistake, we forecasters made, I think, universally as an industry in 2016 is, is we looked at what happened in 2012, where the national polls still had it really close between Obama and Romney. Uh, and, and really a statistical tie if you look at margin for error in a lot of places. Right. And then we looked at the state polls that were razor thin as well. And we saw that, the, that Obama's superior organization on game day made up two or three points in a lot of these states. And so when you looked at the Electoral College, it looked like he won a lot more decisively than when you looked at these individual states and you see how few of them he won by three, four points or less. And so we looked at 2016 and we saw some similar polling. We saw even after a lot of people thought she clearly was the stronger candidate coming out of the debates, she was struggling to break free of outside the MOE and her lead. And then you had the ill-fated James Comey letter the last week of the election. And so we looked at those state polls and they were all within the margin for error. And we thought, well, I mean, Trump is is literally advertising for canvassers in Florida on Craigslist in October. So (laughs) Oregon is, and he was literally doing that. So organizationally, he's way behind where Romney's at. And so, you 
you know, we looked at the early voting numbers in Nevada and North Carolina. They were actually ahead for Democrats where they were in 2012. And so we looked at those those data points and thought, you know what, she's going to break this open on game day with her superior organization. And we saw the exact opposite happen on game day uh, and the energy against her uh, and for him. Uh, ended up uh, catapulting him to the presidency and he won those four states by less than, or three states by less than 80,000 votes. When you look at the state polling, you know, somebody we used to work with on the cruise campaign, Chris Wilson, so we know him as a really respected data guy, has a, his own uh, battleground state polling out right now, just straight up between Trump and Biden. When you look at some of those numbers from Chris, um, you know, about where things stand in these battleground states, what do you see there? Well, when you look at battleground states and you look at straight up Trump v. Biden, which I'm going to give my caveat, I don't think is all that valuable this far out, Mm -hmm. then it looks like a much steeper hill uh, for President Trump to climb. No doubt about it. I want to go back to what you mentioned just a moment ago, that handful of votes. I think it was 77,000 back in 2012. I think the combination of Florida and Georgia and a few of the other battleground states was right around 80-something, maybe 90,000 votes. So we have had that handful of votes that is determined at the end of the day, the presidential election. And like you say, you look at the Electoral College and it looks so much bigger than it is. One thing I think we almost always overlook and just in my casual conversations with friends and neighbors and family that they don't stop and think about and i think it's hard for even for us to remember take 2012 as an example it was so hard particularly for partisan republicans to believe that barack obama could possibly win Mm re-election and the aftermath of obamacare with the economy continuing to struggle etc But the fact of the matter is the American people, when we elect a president, particularly when that president is in the White House and it's his parties, this case, we had George W. Bush as a Republican, then reelected as a Republican. So we had eight years of Republican control in the White House. Then Obama and the Democrat Party comes in and they're running for reelection, right, With, with their first term. It's, all, it's almost a guaranteed lock that it's re-election. In fact, if you go back to since we changed the Constitution to term limit presidents, we've only seen that trend busted once, and that, that was with Jimmy Carter. Yeah. A lot of people say, wait, wait, what about George H.W. Bush? No, that was the he was running for the fourth term for a Republican to win the mm-hmm. White House, which was unprecedented. So here, I think that's another advantage that the president has. We had eight years of a Democrat. Now he's running for reelection as the first term for a Republican to hold the White House in combination with the economy, which we know can change, right? But to your point earlier in our conversation, that environment, that stage is being set right now. I think he's in decent shape in those battleground states. But the enthusiasm, you know, whether it's for him or against Biden or whoever it may be, uh, come election day is what's going to determine that. If you were in the West Wing on their political team right now, what advice would you give them about this environment? And and I've said on this show, you know, if I were running one of those super PACs, you know, we, we would take a quarter of a million which isn't that much money for a TV ad buy, but in Iowa is a lot of money. 
And you do right. it in Iowa because that's where all the Demo the 23 Democrats are right now in my backyard getting ready for the Iowa caucuses, right? And so all the national media is here too. And so you would get a, you'd get a lot of bang for your buck for a quarter million dollar sure. television ad buy in Iowa right now. And I would just make uh, Ilan Omar and the Tlaib and Ocasio-Cortez, I would just make them the face of the Democratic Party and try to do a reverse sister soldier. Put all the yep. Democrats in a position where they have to either endorse how far left and kooky these people are or risk turning the, that wing of their base against them in a hotly contested primary. And I, that's, that, I'd be doing that right now. And I'm kind of surprised they're not. But what, what do you think? I am too. And, you know, I think maybe this goes back to the comment you made earlier about 2016 and the Craigslist ads. Uh, and, you know, how can we question it too much? But the, the political operation there tends to operate on the very broad and effective shoulders of the president's Twitter account. Mm -hmm. And I think we see him pushing that narrative and pushing that message in social media. But I agree if there were a super PAC out there, the time is ripe to do that very thing. Because when you dig into the Democrat primary caucus and, and caucus voter polls, it's very interesting. I mean, Joe Biden, right? He's in a very precarious situation. I thought it was fascinating that David Axelrod the other day said that his campaign has him in the candidate, you know, witness the candidate protection program. And that's partly because of his history of crazy gaffes, right? Mm -hmm. But it's also because you take his history. Uh, as a senator and even as vice president, I mean, here's the guy who famously said he advised the president not to go in and get bin Laden. He has more in, in, in common with Hillary Clinton than he does Barack Obama. And the reality is he is out of step very much so with the majority of Democrat primary voters and caucus goers. And so to your point, to really force the issue on these candidates where they have, and frankly, it's healthy for them. It's healthy for the Democratic Party. They need to know as they go forward where these candidates stand. Are they going to continue to go crazy, far extreme left, right, which may feel good in the Twitter, Twitter sphere and uh, in, in portions of AOC's district, but it's out of touch uh, with mainstream America? Or is somebody like Biden going to step up and try to moderate? But right now they're really getting a free pass. I think the other thing that that argues in favor of what you're saying is we see little hints of this very thing when Nancy Pelosi continues mm -hmm. to check AOC and some of the other crazies on her side of the aisle. JJ, thanks for joining us, man. Good to see you. Hey, man, I enjoyed it. All right, Great take care. You. God bless. Former uh, senior strategist for the Ted Cruz campaign, one of the best dudes I've met in politics, Jason Johnson here with us. And if we're not going to get any form of moderation, if they're just going to continue uh, to go crazy to the left, then, I mean, next stop is a full-throated embrace of socialism. And that's why you want to get this free report from our friends uh, over at uh, Swiss America. It's called the Protect Your Wealth Report. And uh, they're really solid, man. I mean, I've, I've known Craig R. Smith and the team over there for years. I used to have them on my regular show quite a bit. And the thing that they specialize in uh, is um, protecting your wealth, your prosperity, your productivity. Um, you know, they believe, they believe uh, that the worker is worth his hire. I mean, you have earned this, so they want to help you protect it from what is coming. All right. So if you want to get their free protect your wealth report, uh, it's free just by going to SwissAmerica.com. Just visit the website, SwissAmerica.com, or give them a call at 800-289-2646. That's one 800 289 
888-212-2646 or visit the website, SwissAmerica.com. Gentlemen, your thoughts on the conversation we just had with uh, Jason Johnson. The last part sticks out to me the most. I, I think pound for pound, uh, super PACs will never be more important, perhaps, perhaps in the history of American politics. Well, okay, perhaps within the next 20 years than, than it is to get Donald Trump reelected. Uh, he, 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 he cannot do this uh, on his own. If it's always his voice, we know he's going to step on it. He needs other voices coming in to make it resoundingly clear uh, that people have his back that perhaps you haven't heard about in the past. Yeah, I think uh, another way of saying that is Donald Trump needs to be Donald 3.25% economic growth Trump. And the super PACs need to be um, the Ilan Omar, uh, the, the the Rashida Tlaibs, the AOC is the face of the, th- those. The super PACs and the outside organizations, and to some degree the RNC, need to be the ones who are are pushing the. This is the face of the Democratic Party. They are the party of the crazies. Mm-hmm. Um, those are the people who need to do that. Uh, Donald Trump needs to give uh, people a reason to vote. Aff- uh, people a reason to vote affirmatively for Donald Trump, not just rely on negative. Let somebody else do that. Tout the things that are going well. And again, we, as we prefaced multiple times, we don't know how the economy is going to be um, this time next year. But as of right now, that's what he needs to be pimping I, because that's basic. That's the biggest thing. And it's a big thing that the economy is, is doing so well. That needs to be his focus. The outside groups, as Todd said, the PACs, they need to be the ones that are really going on the attack against the Democrats, whoever that nominee is. Plus, we've, we've seen with Trump, if he sees something on Fox or a network that he likes, he'll borrow it. He'll say, hey, I like that. Let's do this. He'll put it on his Twitter account. You have to sit around waiting for him to react all the time. You know, I mean, he, you know, take the initiative. Mm-hmm. You don't want to work for somebody that doesn't, that punishes taking the initiative. We'll come back. Hour two, live and on demand here on The Blaze next. All right, we're back with Hour 2, live and on demand, but not really all that much in demand. Uh, here on The Blaze, uh, I'm Steve Dace, Todd and Anna here with me as well. 888-933-93 is the number here at uh, The Blaze, 888-933-93. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, at Steve Dace Show. But if you want to like us on Facebook, you got to like us a lot, right? Because Facebook doesn't like us. I get that some all social media report in my inbox every morning. It always says new Facebook likes, like zero, like every day, like every single day. So it's really a, a great tool for practicing self-affirmation and self-esteem. <laughs> Is that's, that's what you're saying? You know, I'm starting to think they might not like me. I'm starting to take it personal. At what stage do you take it personal? Six months ago, maybe? Or now? What do you think? Uh, personal the, yet? The, 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 when you check the box for the terms and conditions on Facebook, that's when you start taking it personally. Nice. Nice. Uh, Coming up uh, later in this hour, uh, it's going to be Pop Culture Tuesday. We'll look at the intersection between uh, pop culture and conservatism. We've got fake news or not coming up here in just a moment. But uh, it would be really weird to keep like a stoplight uh, at your dinner table to tell you when to stop eating. But, you know, nature, your creator kind of know what they're doing. Uh, So uh, he put one of those in your body. It's called OEA. Uh, It's just, it's a natural substance. It's just... Uh, for some of us, that it's not as strong as it is in others, particularly as we get older. And really all this is, is a signal uh, that the gut uh, sends to the brain, said, hey, we're full here. We can stop eating. We're all good. Shut her down. 
and and when that goes awry, your metabolism may go with it. So if you've been struggling to win the battle of the bulge and you're looking for some help, all natural, no caffeine, not a stimulant, only three ingredients and the overwhelming main ingredient is OEA. The other ingredients like rice. All right. So it doesn't get any simpler than this. This is just about putting the OEA back in your body like it was when you were younger. Remember when you could eat anything you wanted and didn't put anything on? Why did your body work like that? We're going to try to see if we can get it to work like that again for you. All right. Just visit the website, riduzone.com, R-I-D-U-Z-O-N-E. That's how it's spelled. Riduzone.com. Use my name as a promo code when you get there, Steve, and uh, they'll give you a special offer right now when you go to the website at riduzone.com. All right. Let's get to some fake news or not. And um, I think every now and then we need to make sure we're not fake news. I think it's, and I think it is, and, and we always reset this every now and then. We, we think it's, on our show, we think it is vitally important that you and the audience see us hold us, ourselves to the same standards that, you know, you tune in to watch us hold other people to. And, and one of the things that we have talked about a lot on this show, particularly in the last year, is that Twitter is not America. Political Twitter, even more so. And, you know, the, the surveys and the demographic studies of who's on Twitter, who uses it, et cetera, all affirm this. On the other hand, though, we can't ignore it because Twitter does determine what a lot of Americans who aren't on it get to see in the news. And this is true on both sides. All right. This is true on both sides. So this is true, I think, um, it's true to an overwhelming extent in the left America. And then it's true to a pretty substantial um, perspective in the what's left of America. You guys agree with that? Yeah. I mean, it, it has become kind of like the old a, what AP wires were in the 70s and 80s and what Nexus Lexus searches were uh, in the 90s and 2000s. That's, this why is, we, that's why you see me use a lot of tweets in the yes. montage. I mean, we just heard Jason Johnson, my old buddy from the Cruz campaign, mention that, you know, the president's Twitter account is essentially the White House comms team. So even the president of the United States himself uses this as his primary vehicle to communicate to the news cycle or try to determine or reset news cycles. So we can't ignore it either. So we're kind of in this, we're we're kind of in this um, no man's land culturally with with twitter in that the vast majority of you are not on it and the vast majority of you that are barely use it (laughs) on the other hand it determines a vast majority of what we get to see what's trending and you know people in newsrooms like hey you know that's what's hot we're gonna talk about that so we, we we have to on one hand not overreact to it and acknowledge Twitter's not America. All the data says that. On the other hand, we have to recognize that it does, though, get to determine what we as Americans often get to see and end up talking about, or not. And one of the things that has become pretty prevalent in social media and on political Twitter recently, we've talked a little bit about it on this show, not as much as Aaron probably would prefer me to, but I've I've talked more about it in recent weeks than I probably ever wanted to delve into the topic to begin with. And that is the political battle that apparently is waging within the Southern Baptist Convention. And 
This emerged again yesterday. You had Jerry Falwell Jr. Uh, from Liberty University, uh, who I, I guess has blocked me on Twitter because I went to go find the tweet yes. and he blocked me. So, But uh, I, I, there was a story last week from Reuters, Michael Cohen saying he had compromising pictures of Jerry Falwell Jr. And, and that's, you know, essentially he was implicating that's how they got Falwell Jr.'s endorsement with the Trump campaign is, there is their knowledge of these pictures. If you read the quotes from Michael Cohen in this Reuters story and, you know, Falwell Jr. Responds with a denial and says that there's, there, he thinks there's a, there is what amounts to as SBC version of a deep state, you know, uh, of orange man, bad people that are trying to social justice warrior eyes, the Southern Baptist convention and in his defense. And I haven't said that much recently, but in his defense, we have actually seen evidence of people who are attempting the social justice yep. warrior, the Southern Baptist convention. We had a big long conversation about Beth Moore last week, right here on this show. Right? Yes. And so if you follow political Twitter, and this is a world that if you work in the, in the line, if you're in the line of work, we're in, you can't avoid this world. You have to engage it we, because it's where news cycles are often determined and edited and reset. And so we, we, our job is acknowledge is is analyzing news cycles. We we cannot avoid it. All right. You, for those of you who tell turn it off. I, I, I can't. That's like telling a you know a, a, a newspaper writer in the seventies and eighties. Don't read the AP wire. It's buy it. Well, I, I can't avoid it. It's you know it's it's the OSHA book of my line of work. I have to know what's going on. All right. And so we have to make sure we don't get bogged down in this, the way we often point out others do. Because according to political Twitter, the Southern Baptist Convention is about to is about to implode. America's largest Protestant denomination, largest Orthodox Protestant denomination as well, overwhelmingly so. That 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 Trump era politics has torn the Southern Baptist Convention asunder. Am I am I reading? Am I underestimating this? Um, to some to some degree, I, that's that's what a lot that that that's the narrative that's being peddled at any, at okay. any rate. And so you have the. The Beth Moore, we're not, we're not talking heretics. We're talking people that are letting politics determine how they're communicating the gospel to the culture. So you have the Beth Moore, Russell Moore group over here. You know, well, we can't lose millennials. We need to show them, you know, that uh, we're sorry. We've got white liberal guilt too, right? All right, there's that group. Okay. And then you got the Robert Jeffress, Jerry Falwell group over here. You know, where Trump tiptoes between the raindrops. And that essentially the Southern Baptist Convention is going to be torn asunder by Cheeto Jesus saves versus Orange Man bad. That's kind of the narrative that we see in political Twitter. Fair? I would say so. Okay. Yep. So I decided this morning that I'm going to ask those of you, and I'm going to use my Facebook page precisely because it's not growing. Precisely because it's not growing then I'm, I'm actually going to get people that are probably regulars here that are probably the same people that comment about a lot of different things because I don't have 3 million Twitter followers because we've added 540 in like 10 years, okay? So I wanted to use my Facebook page to, to test this theory. Are, are we buying into, on our show, are we buying into a narrative that largely is not true? Or is this just Twitter's not America again? So I asked this question on our Facebook page today. Question exclusively for Southern Baptist. How much is your denomination really becoming divided over Trump-era politics? And how much of this is Twitter is not America? 
Another way of saying it does, what's occurring between the, the Cheeto Jesus saves and the orange man bad crowd in the, in the Southern Baptist Convention on Twitter is does it make its way down to your local congregation? All right. Here, here are the answers to this that I have received. John Rusin, almost everyone I know does not read, see, or care about anything Trump has tweeted and does not watch the local news almost ever. When they discuss politics, they talk about keeping America safe and the economy strong. All this stuff happening at the higher levels is a reflection of the poison that politics can be on those people, not a reflection of the congregations in our churches. Cantester, for the most part, no. Most of those people who do state an opinion are decidedly pro-Trump, although there are also some members of our congregation who tend to be somewhat anti-Trump. No big deal. Eric Walker, the SBC is governed locally at the church level. It's, that's a strength and a weakness. It makes it difficult to, to get rid of people like Beth Moore if you want to, but at the same time, um, it, you, 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 it, you can't have what they are do, trying to do imposed from the top down either. Carl Bullock, you need to remember, Southern Baptists are not a top-down organization, but a bottom-up one. So we don't obey the dictates of anyone at the convention, but they had better pay attention to our direction. I, I could do more of these comments. I'm scrolling through them right now. Kurt Alfrey, we left the Southern Baptist Church and Sunday Church altogether because of the Build a Bigger Building uh, uh, campaigns. Nothing really here about Trump. Over and over again, I'm looking at these replies. Lamar Egerton, the Southern Baptist Convention is being divided over social justice and women pastors, not Trump. In other words, bad theology versus what is biblical. Barb Davis, I would not say that it infects congregations of Southern Baptists I'm familiar with, though there are varying opinions and levels of support for Donald Trump. Over and over and over again, I'm, I'm looking Andy Snyder, no one outside of those who spend mission dollars even know what a Russell Moore is. Artie McCall, no, it's not making it its way downhill. I work at a Southern Baptist Convention seminary in North Carolina and attend a Southern Baptist church. No controversy about Trump one way or the other here. We know who really saves. Darren McLeod, due to moving and family, I've attended several different SBC churches in the last couple of years. Generally speaking, politics is not really even discussed at all, except for fear of IRS issues. Mark Thornbrug, I pastor a Southern Baptist church. Local congregations aren't concerned with the opinions of de denominational leaders. All right, I'm going to stop now. So I, I am still scrolling here. We are over 50 comments from self-avowed Southern Baptists I, I can't find a one in my Facebook feed that says this has is discussed in their local congregation, has any bearing on their local congregation whatsoever. I didn't know what the answer was going to be when I posed this question this morning. On purpose, I posed the question, looked at the initial few comments and explained to one individual why we're, even though I agree Twitter's not America, we can't ignore that it also has a huge say in what Americans see. And then I went to work out, took a shower, came to work, haven't looked at these. I just let it sit so I could let the conversation happen organically and see what happens. So I'm looking at these responses in real time. I didn't even look at them during the break because I didn't want to know going in what people were saying. So I'm over 50 comments from people who are naming themselves on Facebook. No anonymity here. 
who are saying, we're Southern Baptists. We don't know anything about this. We don't have a clue. It's not talked about in our congregations. People aren't pitting themselves against each other. You know, like, you know, you know, like this is, uh, uh, you know, are you, what, what were those vampire movies a few years ago? Are you team Edward or whatever the other dude's name Twilight. was? Yeah. We're not, we're not, you know, I'm team Cheeto Jesus saves. I'm team, uh, you know, uh, orange man, bad. I'm team Robert Jeffress. I'm team Beth Moore. I, I'm seeing none of this. So how much of this that we have been commenting on is just the same token white liberal guilt virtue signaling we've been talking about this for our entire lives, Todd? And how much of this is really the, the Southern Baptist Convention is imperiled? Is this our, have we been buying into some fake news here? What do you think, gentlemen? You really want the Catholic to go first? Uh, Anybody? Can, I don't care who goes the, first. I might. I don't know about the convention being imperiled, but Southern Baptists might be imperiled if this is a level of disconnect that is pervasive in the long term. I mean, Steve, uh, you you preach at the pulpit of the fish rots from where? The head. Right. Well, yes. then what on earth is going on at the leadership uh, level that people are so disconnected from not in tune with not in a line with talk well, I think about what they're saying is they they have a church ecclesiastical structure that they are the leaders well, the headship starts and, and works its way and at the local level is that true i mean it's true See, in theory but in practice is it that's a good question so, i mean if, why why then do you fund somebody like if I, I don't know russell moore at all I, I i got lots of southern baptist friends and they have very divided opinions they're either all for him or all against him all right, so I'll let somebody who's a Southern Baptist and more invested in this comment on it. I'm not an expert on it. But in general, if, if Russell Moore is who you think he is and you have a congregationally led, that's your ecclesiastical um, you know, uh, structure, is your congregationally led, why would you allow any of the money that comes out of your congregation then to go to his efforts if you're not for them? That's kind of what you're asking. Right? Yeah, among other things, yeah. yes. What do you think? What do you think, Karen? So there's two ra ways to read this, and it, I was reading along uh, quickly while you were running down a, a few of those comments on our Facebook wall, and it's 10 to 1, no, we're not divided over this stuff. I, there's, I think there's two ways you can read that. Either one, they're aware of, the, uh, of some of the issues that we pointed out and that are talked about on Twitter, and they just um, it's irrelevant to them, which I think would probably be the better option uh, because they have more... Um, uh, you know, they're building the wall in front of their own house, so to speak. Uh, I think that's a good thing. Or the alternative is that they're um, not aware of these disconnects, the social justice warriorism, mm -hmm. uh, these types of things, and the, the ignorance is bliss. And the reason why that would actually confirm the narrative, or at least part of the narrative that's being bandied about, is that the, you know, the Southern Baptist is on the verge of collapse. Uh, something along those lines. Who runs the seminaries? By you know who who runs those seminaries? Uh, but for the most part, it's people who are pretty high up in SBC leadership, who are making the decisions about what are what is taught in those seminaries. Who then comes out of the seminaries? Who who do these smaller churches at the lower levels of this ecclesiastical structure? Who do they hire to become their pastors? Where's their pool of yeah right. Yeah. So if there's a lack of awareness about some of these issues, that's actually probably the situation is far worse, maybe, than what we expected. If it's an awareness of these issues, but 
you know what, we're still going to be a part of this, but we're not going to get into, we're not going to let this divide the work that we're doing right now. That's actually, I think, a good thing. That's probably a healthy thing. Um, not good in the long run, but I think overall, that's probably the best thing that you could, you could hope for. But as along the lines of what Todd was saying, the, the people running the seminaries, I mean, Albert Moeller, I don't know if there's a correlation here, but you know, Ligonier Ministries, that's R.C. Sproul's, R.C. Sproul's ministry. Mm-hmm. Albert Moeller, who was just a great guy, his podcast is amazing. I, I know a lot of people who listen to that, uh, and he seems to be fairly down the road. Uh, he was uh, apparently let go. I don't want to misquote, but he's no longer with Ligonier Ministries. Um, and the, there are there are things like that, and things like the occasional comment from Beth Moore, the occasional comment, the well, a lot of comments from Russell Moore, um, things like this that just make you, you know, give you cause for pause. Because either they are either they're going to the left or way to the right, uh, and at the end of the day, they're on the same you know uh, different sides of the same coin as far as allowing politics to influence the way they do ministry, the way they do theology. Um, so I, again, there needs to at least be an awareness, I think, at the local level of some of these issues. Otherwise. Um, at the end of the day, this might not be feasible. All right, so maybe there's an alternative theory here. I'll, I'll, I'll discuss that here in, in just a moment. But uh, if you are struggling uh, to get your kids uh, a well-rounded diet, particularly where fruits and vegetables are concerned, this is where our friends at Brickhouse Nutrition comes in. Uh, they've got an outstanding product. It's called Field of Greens. It's made with real USDA organic fruits and vegetables, which means all those uh, vitamins, minerals, antioxidants, immunity boosters, prebio- prebiotics, probiotics, the things that we're taking supplements for now because we're not eating as many fruits and vegetables as we should be. We're not eating as much fresh food as we should be. Uh, Field of Greens will put those things right back into your diet. And when you turn over the label, you'll note it doesn't say supplement facts. It says nutrition facts because, again, it's made with real USDA certified organic fruits and vegetables. And it tastes delicious and it doesn't have 9,000 grams of sugar either. You want to give this a shot. 15% off of your first order today when you go to BrickHouseSteve.com. That's BrickHouseSteve.com. Use my name as a promo code, Steve, to get 15% off of your first order. So here's my alternative theory to then. I'm wondering if this is getting conflated like we are. Everything, everything is getting conflated in this era of Trump. Like Trump just broke everything yeah. or Trump just fixed everything. And and here's why this is important, by the way. If you're listening to us today, you're Jewish, you're Catholic, you're LDS, and you're wondering, why do I give two flips about the inner workings of the Southern Baptist Convention? Here's why you care. I'm not a Southern Baptist either. Here, here's why you care. The reason you care is this is the largest voting block, potential voting block of religious-oriented conservative voters in the United States of America. Other than that, though, you're right. It's largely a parochial dispute. <laughs> no. All right. Th- this is this a, a hemorrhage here, a schism here, particularly depending on the cause, would have widespread cultural and electoral consequences. That's why you should care. So is it possible then that there were complaints about Russell Moore long before yeah. Donald Trump came along. I would and, say even more complaints before he came along, yeah, to be I, honest. I, yeah, I, I would agree with that, yeah. Um, 
Is it possible then that this has nothing to do with Trump? And if you remove the caricatures of individuals like Jerry Falwell Jr., um, who for all of his, you know, Cheeto Jesus saves, do you know who their graduation speaker was last weekend at Liberty? I know this because my wife's in grad school there right now. You know who their Liberty? It was it was Joe Biden. So, oh. you know, for, for, for all of his, you know, Trump shilling, you know, clearly he's not speaking for a monolithic voice at Liberty. Um, you know, Robert Jeffers is a caricature. Beth Moore has a far larger following than Robert Jeffers does, for that matter. Is it possible then that there is a major dispute happening in the SBC? It has absolutely nothing to do with Trump. We're just, it's just convenient to make everything about Trump and put everybody in a binary box. I would 100% agree with that with no reservations or uh, alter, alterations to that posit. Um, I, I think that's based, based on the fact that, yes, the Russell Moore thing has been an annoyance at best far before uh, Trump or long before Trump came along and probably will be. This is it. This is the same. This is the way it is, though, with Trump and and this environment. Everything and nothing is about Trump. Um, is it because just, his personality yes. compels people to reveal their brokenness? Do you think there's something to that? That uh, that he is a great clarifier. I, I have never seen anybody more attract more and expose more simultaneously expose more sellouts in my entire career, and there is no close second. Is it, 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 there's something about his personality that is a tremendous clarifier that if, if you have, if you are running a scam, there's something about Trump's persona that you just cannot avoid saying it's me. Have you, I mean, we've, how much we've had this conversation for years now, and maybe that's, maybe that's what's happening in the Southern Baptist convention is, is, is maybe there were already people who went beyond American exceptionalism to America is another Israel. And Trump just gave them the impetus to go ahead and, and show their rear ends like a Robert Jeffers type. And maybe there was already a, a you know, a, a coming oncoming tide of, you know, we need to be more social justice oriented and, you know, have a more holistic view and attract millennials. And Trump just gave them an excuse to, uh, you know, kvetch out in the open. I think that's true too. Yeah. I mean, listen, Donald Trump is, is, elevated brokenness incarnate i mean it is it is where there hasn't been a a, a cost on earth seemingly at all for him i mean he, he has turned uh, brokenness into success after success after success and so in a world that makes sense you're kind of looking around uh and it, trying to get a sense of you know how do you how do you act Kids act off of how their parents uh, uh, behave. You, you are imprinted with character. Uh, but in today's day and age, and it's happened in other ages as well, if, if you don't see character around you, you will find ex the excuses you're talking about to elevate your own brokenness and, mm -hmm. make, and make it the norm. And of course, when he is that par excellence, then people are racing to keep up with it again on all sides of the fence. And you say, well, of course I'm going to be hysterical and yell bigot louder than I've ever had and said, usually it was in my inner child or just in my close circle. Now it's going to be in your face in the church hallways everywhere because the guy with the biggest pulpit is living that life large. So, yeah. Hmm. So 
if at the Southern Baptist Convention, the only major American denomination that's ever gone liberal and come back, the largest, overwhelmingly largest, Orthodox, conservative, Protestant denomination on this continent, if, if it can't hold the line, its leaders, its, its figureheads, its major faces and names, if, if they can't withstand the temptation to fall into the trap that we've seen happen to media, political parties, pundits, politicians, etc. But, but they represent an institution. These leaders we're talking about represent an institution that, is, that its calling is to speak truth to the people that are falling in this trap. If they can't resist falling into this trap, How do the you know how do the righteous prevail if the foundations be destroyed? You know what I'm saying here. I mean, huh? Mm-hmm. How do you who's who's standing in the gap then? Well, listen, it, this should not just fall on the shoulders of the Southern uh, Baptist Conference convention. Uh, convention, excuse me. Uh, but it begs the question: what what is the point of these foundations? They aren't from the beginning of the earth. They aren't from the beginning of uh, Christendom. They aren't even from the beginning of uh, America in many respects. I I think it's time to ask ourselves if whatever our Christian club is, has it run out of use? Is it it in the way? To go back to where we started Mm -hmm. on this, what is it doing? If the salt has lost its flavor, I hear you saying. Yeah. Well, use of it is to anybody other than to be thrown out and trampled underfoot, yeah. right? Yeah. Hmm. If you are like uh, many Americans this year uh, that have uh, ear problems, particularly with allergy season, ear pain, that plugged up feeling, itchy ears, uh, if any of these problems sound familiar to you, uh, you could be like millions of Americans that have a doctor visit in their future. But what if you could avoid all of that and deal with it in the comfort and convenience of your own home and without a prescription as well? If, if this sounds too good to be true, you need to use WaxRx. Give it a shot risk-free today. Just go to usewaxrx.com. No more expensive trips to the doctor. No more waits. No more prescriptions. Uh, it's got a physician-developed technology that safely and effectively removes earwax buildup and then soothes the ear when it's done, just like the professionals to do. But now you can do it yourself. Uh, try it risk-free today. Go to the website, usewaxrx.com. That's usewaxrx.com. And when you're there at checkout, use offer code radio for free shipping. When you go to usewaxrx.com. Aaron, your final thoughts on this. Yeah, it's just echoing Todd. That is the question that you have to, that you have to ask. And I think that's a broader question. I mean, whatever, what is the point of whatever um, program or um, ministry or what, what is the point? What is? Are we are we here to fulfill the Great Commission or not? Or are we here to argue about how much virtue we should signal and how much kvetching we should make about our, the color of our skin because we're white? Mm-hmm. That is the question that I think you have to challenge uh, yourself with. Um, when appropriate, challenge your church leaders with. Because at the end of the day, if it is not for the goal and the aim of the of, of spreading uh, of carrying out the Great Commission, spreading the gospel, then it's worthless. Well said. We'll come back. Pop Culture Tuesday next year on the Blaze. Stay tuned. <laughs>
that uh, spirit of the age progressives are trying to import socialism to America. But what many of you don't know is that uh, Trump's own health and human services secretary, Alex Azar is actually helping their cause by trying to let foreign countries dictate the prices of your medicine. Doing this will lead to shortages of vital medicines and set medical research back decades, making it harder for researchers to find cures for horrible diseases like diabetes, Alzheimer's and cancer. I don't know about you, but uh, I didn't sign up for foreign governments meddling with my health care. Not to mention, there's absolutely nothing America first about uh, letting uh, foreign uh, governments dictate our own health care policy. So if you want to do something about this, our friends over at FreedomWorks are attempting to stand up uh, to Secretary Azar, but they need your help to lend your voice. Here's how you can do that. Uh, Go to their website, uh, freedomworks.org. FreedomWorks, all one word, freedomworks.org slash DACE. FreedomWorks.org slash DACE tells Secretary Azar to fix patients, not prices. Make no mistake, tying the prices of our medicine to other countries does not put America first. If you agree, go to freedomworks.org slash DACE. FreedomWorks.org slash DACE. Let's get to it. Pop Culture Tuesday, and we do this each week on the show. We take a look at the intersection between pop culture and conservatism. And one of the shows we've done in the past, when we did this for Worldview Wednesday, when we used to do that segment, and then it evolved into Theology Thursday, when we thought the audience was ready to kind of take the next step and go deeper along those lines. But we used to do, um, uh, we used to do a message on our show that uh, could be summed up in three words. Receive, redeem, and reject, right? How do we look at culture? If you're a person of faith, how do you you look at culture? How do you engage one? And, you know, we're commanded to be in the world, not of it. We're commanded to take the Great Commission to teach the world the commands God has given us, right? So so how do we do this, though? We're We're given a lot of, you know, parameters of immorality to avoid but we're not really given a lot of pointers because why you know why because the issues and circumstances facing the first century apostles they were up against the some of the same universal themes you know there's nothing new under the sun where the macro picture is concerned right but in but the environment that those things in which they manifest themselves changes in different ages, cultures, and customs. That's why you're not given a direct, I believe, why we're not given a direct pointers. Five ways to successfully engage culture. Okay? That's not in the book of Acts, for example. So one of the things we've done on our show is we've come up with this little hermeneutic called receive, redeem, and reject. And um, what, you know, the first thing is what we can receive. Meaning these are, these are in their proper context, value-neutral propositions. You move down south, Friday night football is a big thing. Go to the game. You know, be there with the rest of the community. Immerse yourself in the rest of the community. I mean, you know, if, if people just start deciding, you know, we're gonna we're gonna, you know, determine what's right or wrong by the fact we need Johnny Utah to be the high school quarterback tonight, well, that's where you take a stand. But barring something like that, even if they're fervently for it or somewhere else you go and it's ballet, I mean, I don't know, whatever it is. Go up north, the strip clubs are the big thing. That's not something you can read. That, that's right, because that, that, that is not a value-neutral no. proposition. <laughs> Thank you. 
<laughs> Thank you, millennial, for that important clarification. Thank you. Yes. So as long as it's a value-neutral custom tradition in a community, you know, go for it. Receive it. Enjoy it. As long as it's kept in its proper context. Then there are things we can redeem. When a culture has lost its, its way and, and importance and definition of marriage and why family is important, why it's important for, ha- to, for children to have a mother and a father, all right? I mean, these are things that, that God has determined that we as human beings have sullied and now we are called, just as Jesus got himself more than dirty for us, we are called to get our hands dirty for others. We love because he first loved us. These are the things that we must redeem. These are the things explicitly of God. These are themes, you know, institutions, etc., that we are called to be a redemptive um, agent before. So we, we can receive the things that are kind of value neutral, provided they're kept in their proper context. We, we redeem the things that are of God and that the world has attempted to corrupt and co-opt. And then we have to reject the things that are clearly meant to be false. There's, there's nothing redeemable here. They are, from the outset, intended to turn people away from redemption. We have to reject these things. And what we're seeing more and more of is is this sort of agate prop of of things that stem from from our value system? You know the example of uh, Tilda Swinton and Liam New- Liam Neeson when the first uh, when she played the White Witch and he played Aslan when the when the first line the Witch in the Wardrobe movie came out from Walden Media and they both did publicity saying this is not an explicitly Christian story. Now. We don't need to reject the movie because the actors are kooks or truth deniers. Because did the movie itself honor the source material as it was intended? Yes. 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 So, you know, that's a them problem. Did their performances, despite whatever personal views they aired after their performance was finished, when we witnessed their performances, uh, Liam Neeson as the voice of Aslan, uh, Tilda Swinton as the White Witch, did their performances honor the source material? Yes. Absolutely. So if there's a conflict between what their beliefs are, the, the movie is about, and what the movie is actually about, is that for us to reconcile or for them? Them. That's for them. Because they didn't make us reconcile it because they didn't ruin the source material, right? Now, if they, if they ruin the source material, then it becomes about us to reconcile it. And I would argue you reject it. Like when they do this, Netflix is going to reboot uh, this series, the Chronicles of Narnia. Now, the, the C.S. Lewis family, his, his foundation is, is said to be overseeing these productions like they did with Walden Media, you know, 15 years or so, years ago or so. But if, if they go awry and, you know, it turns out that uh, Peter and Edward realize that they're gay, gay lovers, should we should we be like, well, you know, otherwise, this is a pretty good story. No. No. Rejection. Reject it. This is not a redeemable cause. It's irredeemable by the fact that it took what, what it knows to be the source material and purposefully, purposefully corrupted it, soiled it, 
Last year, we talked a lot about the movie Wrinkle in, A Wrinkle in Time as an example of what we're talking about here. This is one of the best-selling children's books of the 20th century. It was written as an intentional Christian allegory. And those aren't my words. Those are the authors. So Disney made its uh, an updated version of this film last year. Oprah Winfrey's in it. Uh, Chris, Chris Pine, who's a big star now, uh, plays the dad. Uh, it was heavily promoted. They put all kinds of money into the special effects and everything else. And the director of the film let it be known up front that she removed all of the Christian elements to it, all of the Christian allegory. And so... I don't know. The movie might have been good. And in fact, if they would have, you know, had a similar plot line and called it, you know, time heist. I don't know. <laughs> I think that's been done. <laughs> Someone should think of that. But if they would have called it something else and, you know, and you could have seen. Yeah, I think they kind of were inspired by a wrinkle of time there. But if they were if they made it known from the outset, they were telling their own story. The fact that it's an open espousal of paganism. I'd have been like, you know what? As long as you're not asking me to convert to your view and it's art well done, I don't have a problem, you know, acknowledging that you used the gifts God, the God you're rejecting gave you uh, in, in, in a way that uh, maximizes its potential even to communicate a message that is wrong. If, if I limited this, if I limited the entertainment I see to every th the only things that affirm every last scintilla of my belief system, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have a lot more free time. All right. You just got an email saying you're damned to hell for that. Yep. Yeah, yes. But that's not what they did. What they did is they took our source material, they brought it out into broad daylight in HD, dropped trowel, squeezed one off right on the source material, and then held it up in full view into the camera to you and I and said, this is the best crap sandwich you've ever had. You've never had a crap sandwich like this before. And I mean, you're going to get so tired of the crap sandwiches because they're just so good. That's what they did. And they let you know about it. And people were like, screw that noise. I'm not going to see the movie. And they didn't. And it was one of the biggest flops of 2018. And we applauded that on our show. Reject agate prop. Reject it. What these leftists are doing with the source material when they do this is their own version of triumph of the will. That's what they're doing. This is just pure agate prop. And now they tried doing it again last weekend with the J.R.R. Tolkien movie. It wasn't so much that, from what I read about the movie, it wasn't so much that what they said about Tolkien and his inspirations that drove him to write arguably the, most, the seminal work of Western civilization, Lord of the Rings. I mean, it's, 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 you know, I mean, influence Lewis. It's, it's the Beowulf of the 20th century. I, I, I mean, it's, dude, it, it seeps into Led Zeppelin lyrics. I mean, it's transcendent as a work. And so it's not like, from what I read about the movie, it's not like they were wrong in talking about the things that Tolkien witnessed and went through that influenced his writing of the book. Is that they weren't precise. They're right. He was heavily influenced by the horrors of what he had seen in World War I, the militarization uh, that was coming leading up to World War II, his concerns about losing an agrarian way of life uh, to, you know, post-World War I industrial revolution. All those things are true. Like, it's true to say that, hey, what do you know about Steve Dace? Uh, host a show on The Blaze. He's a big Michigan fan. 
annoying. All those things are true. But they, but if, if you did my life story and you only featured those three things, it wouldn't really be my life story. If you, if you didn't incorporate the, thing, the two things that drive me more than anything else, are all those things of, to varying degrees, you guys know me pretty well, are the things I just mentioned to varying degrees important to me? Yeah. yeah. But are they of the utmost importance to no. me? No. If you left out my faith and my family, then you really didn't tell my life story. You told your story about my life. But you didn't tell my life story. You told your story about my life. Those are two different things. That's a distinction with a difference. And that's what they did here with Tolkien because they left out his faith. I mean, the man, the man was, a, was, was a principal in one of the most important spiritual conversions of the last yeah. 500 years in the church. Lewis. I mean, he was instrumental in converting Lewis from atheism to Christianity. And, and tell me, there's a real short list of people post-St. Paul. So I'm going back a couple eons now. Post-St. Paul, like Arrhenius, Augustine, Aquinas. Give me a Luther, whether you're Protestant or Catholic. You can't deny the importance of the influence of his writings. Give me, give me right now a half dozen, half dozen writers post-St. Paul. So 2,000 years of Christendom, more influential on the faith as it stands today, then Clyde Staples Lewis go. Can you do it? Oh, both through fiction and his nonfiction. Yeah. I mean, mere, Catholics are, like one of their go-to books is mere Christianity. Yeah, you can't, I don't think you can do it. And and the seeds of that faith, God used Jer, his friend Jericho Tolkien to, to plant those seeds. One plants, another waters, God gives the increase. So they, they told you their story about Tolkien's life. They didn't tell you the story of Tolkien's life. Because they left out the drive, the the, the 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 utmost driving influence of his work, his faith. The ring itself is a metaphor for human nature. It's it's corrupted to the core. It can't in its in its current state. It can't. The ring of power cannot be wielded for good. It only corrupts. Which is why where does it have to be thrown? Into the fire. Where do you get that idea? The refiner's fire. That's why it's got to go to the fire. This entire thing, it's not as directly allegorical and intentionally as the Chronicles of Narnia are, but it absolutely takes its inspiration from the greatest story the greatest story ever told. And they left all of that out. And the film flopped. And you know what? That's good. I think we're going to have to say, this is, we talked yesterday, we're going to need to learn the word no more often. This is an area where we need to let no be our no. Because you're going to see more of this. Okay? In the comic books, for example, Captain Marvel is not a bisexual or a lesbian. In fact, she has a love affair with Rhodey. Okay? Uh, War Machine. So, when and if we get to the point that they retcon her character as a lesbian, you know what you say to that? It's one thing if you want to say she started out being a lesbian. I like her character. I'll look beyond that because I like the other themes. But now you're taking source material and you're intentionally corrupting it in an effort to get me to corrupt myself. You're leaving me no place where I can accept your work other than to buy into the, to, to the base corruption you're intending to communicate. When a culture does that, do you know what we are to say to it? Say it with me now. It's a, it's, a, it's a powerful word, and it's only one syllable. 
No. Your thoughts, gentlemen? No. <laughs> Lesson learned. <laughs> nice. He's not the best color man in it's, the game for nothing. Yeah, no, this is the exact same thing we were talking about to several times uh, last week as well. We cannot allow... Um, we, we cannot allow people, pagans, to claim our themes... And then thereby uh, cl- claim claim our themes either uh, by retconning them or by just overtly lying about them, uh, and have that affect our uh, our actions. We're giving them way too much power and way too much credit. So and so, so and so is a flaming leftist, and so I'm not going to watch Marvel anymore. Um, okay, you're giving them so much more power uh, than they already have, uh, which is you know at the end of the day very little. If more of us would actually say no. These types of things, we are we allow the left, we allow progressives, the pagans, way too much power. When we say, well, yeah, they, they said this is not uh, so and so. This they, 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 they their worldview, the workers' worldview does not match up with my own. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to completely, uh, you know, I, I'm going to get thee to a nunnery until this changes. That's that's never going to change. Instead, um, redeem. I, again, that's the theme that you hit. Redeem these things that are redeemable and reject the things that aren't. We, that is our obligation. We can't just, for anything that doesn't match up perfectly with our exegesis, we can't just put a tuck tail and run. Very well said. Uh, speaking of a message we need to receive from popular culture, 60 Minutes recently featured uh, the former FBI head of cybercrimes. And he was warning homeowners on 60 Minutes that foreign and domestic thieves can steal your home and they can do this all online. That's because home titles and mortgages are kept in databases that can be hacked. And if you have equity in your home, which is what the thieves really want, here's how they get to you. They simply forge their name onto your home's title, use your home as collateral to borrow cash, and then they stick you with the payments. No bank or identity theft protection program will protect you. But for pennies a day, our friends at Home Title Lock will. They'll put a virtual barrier around your home's title, and you can find out right now for free if your home's title has already been tampered with or targeted with a free title scan and report. All you need to do is register right now for free at HomeTitleLock.com. HomeTitleLock.com. Do not let cyber thieves steal your home. All right? Uh, Do something about it right now. Go to HomeTitleLock.com. Todd, you get the last word. Well, the reason that's so easy to do with movies uh, and largely with impunity uh, is because it's been done in our churches for so long. Our churches have been retconned uh, to a ridiculous degree. We've sat Mm. and watched and clapped and sang hymns while it's happened. So, yeah, they're probably going to get a movie or two as well. Mm. You know, you got to work your way up. I didn't start. I used to, those of you that are just learned about us in our show, it may be weird to hear me say, I used to get taken for a ride all the time. I had to start at the bottom and work my way up into saying no, but now no, I love no. No and I are having a passionate love affair. All right? You know, the rest of us need to work our way up there as well. All right? Fall in love with no. John three seventeen. This is Steve Dace on the Blaze Radio Network.